Well, let's uh, stand and read the word of the Lord to us this morning. We're back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We'll be reading from 13 through 19. And the word of the Lord to us this morning says, Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. You can be seated. Paul is not finished. He's continuing to make clear his call to the church at Corinth to do those things in the gathered assembly that will edify the church as a whole. That is the purpose. The church has always been created by God to edify the whole, not an individual by themselves, but that the whole church would be edified. And so when we come together, as Paul has been emphasizing from the beginning of this sermon series, we are to come together for the purpose of building one another up. Because if we allow one to only be built up and all the rest stay weak, then that one is really not that strong, really. We have the saying, which I've used before, you're only as strong as your weakest link. Now, if I have a chain that is, you know, let's say I could find a chain that was a quarter inch or a half inch thick. Each link was that thick. But at the bottom, or what if I put right in the middle a link that was an eighth of an inch thick? Would you trust that chain? Why not? I mean, everyone but one link is really strong, right? I mean, I would trust a half-inch link, right? actually did that yesterday, kind of. <laughs> it was about a, it wasn't quite a half-inch, but um, yet, oftentimes, we act like we put our church in that picture. We're like, well, they're weak, so let's just trod them over. Let's, let's just leave them behind. Instead of encouraging them and compelling them to come on, don't stay down there where you can't even have meat because you're still immature. And so, as Christians, we have a responsibility to ensure that one another is growing. I think this is something that is greatly missed, especially in the American church. Because we have become so independent. As long as me and my family are okay, then 
will be good. But that's not the Christian way. That's not God's way of building the church. He's put us all together so that when one is weak, the other helps that. So sometimes when you have a weak link, you can take a... uh, What is it called? I just forgot it. I made... What? Mm, The other one that has like a... You can... Yeah, I can't, can't remember. Anyways, but it's how you put two chains together sometimes. Well, you can take that and actually um, add it to where the weak part is so that it, the weak doesn't break. You can put it between them. And you don't take the old link out. You just add this other one so that there's strength. And I think that that analogy doesn't fully bear out, but... Um, that's often what we need in the church. We need to come alongside and help one another because when we're weak, that's when we need the help the most and vice versa. When we think we're strong and our, we look down on the, our weaker brothers or sisters, we're actually the weak ones because we are relying on our own abilities. And so... Paul is continuing here. I know this may seem, what I've just said may seem out of uh, context, but it's, it's not. Because what does he say in verse 13? He says, therefore. Now, we've said this many times and many pastors before me have said this. Therefore means, okay, why is this therefore? Right? Like, what, what's the reason? Well, he's referring back to what we spoke about two weeks ago. And especially, I believe, he's referring to verse 12, right? Because verse 12 says, So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. So when you're seeking the spiritual gifts, you should, with zealousness, seek those especially that will edify the church. And so to kind of... Confirm that, Paul says in verse 13, Therefore, the one who speaks, the one who is speaking in a tongue should, this should is actually a command. This is not uh, 1 Suggestions chapter 1. Do you know how many suggestions are in the Bible? If I preached a sermon on suggestions, how how long would that sermon last? Anyone? Zero minutes. There are no suggestions in the Bible. I was actually talking to a guy. He goes, yeah, if I preach a sermon on suggestion, there would be nothing. I was like, that is a good point. Um, but oftentimes we take the Bible as a suggestion. Well, this is a command, actually, of Paul to them. So if you are speaking in a tongue, he's, he's encouraging them. He's not telling them, don't speak in tongues. He's encouraging them. You, you need to pray that you may interpret. Why? why? Why would they need to do that? Well, because of what he just said in verse 12. Speaking in tongues without interpretation does not edify the church. And that's why I've entitled this, today's message, 
Edification requires intelligibility. I know that sounds all... I couldn't think of a better way to say it. I was trying to think of some catchy way to say it, but just take it as it is. (laughs) But that's the point that Paul is making here. That they should pray that they may interpret. Why? Is it so that he will understand? So if I pray in a tongue, does... Do, do, should I pray that I interpret so that I will understand alone? No. Paul is referring and has been talking about the church the whole time. The purpose is so that the church may understand and be built up. And this word interpret can be uh, translated explain. So look with me real quick at Luke chapter 24. So Luke chapter 24 and verse 27. So Jesus is on the road to Emmaus, and this is what it says. He says, then beginning, well, let's, let's start in verse 26. Was it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? So he's going to answer this question. He's going to explain all that he has gone through. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained. This is the same word that's that's translated interpreted. He explained to them the things concerning himself in all of scriptures. I know we all would have liked to have been there that day. (laughs) If... If there were master classes back then, this would be the master class you would want to attend, if you know what I'm talk what a master class is. They on YouTube they have these, you know, the top of their field, cooks and musicians and actors and whatever, and they, they have what's called a master class and you watch these videos and it's supposed to help you understand how to become uh, a successful whatever the the thing you 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 want. Well, that master class would be one I would want to be a part of because I want to be like Jesus. I want to have victory over sin. I want to be free. And so I think it's important that we think about this word interpreter. You can turn back to 1 Corinthians 14 that when they interpret, what is it doing? It's explaining what the tongues are saying, because no one understands. So, if I began to speak to you all in Spanish, let's say I decided this morning I was going to preach in Spanish. Would, would you leave with your edified? How many of you would leave edified? How many of you would understand one or two words. Would that be enough? No, because that's not the purpose. We don't come into a church and say, okay, I'm going to preach in uh, just a random language and, and everyone will be edified. No, 
But if I had an interpreter here, that interpreter would take what I'm saying and explain it to you all in English. Or if, let's say we had a, someone from Guatemala came, a pastor that I know, and he came and gave a message in Spanish, and I interpreted. Well, that's, that's kind of the same picture, right? When, when we're gathering together, the purpose is to edify the body as a whole, not just those who understand Spanish, right? So if we all want to be edified, it needs to be intelligible. It needs to be understood. And to be understood, it must be interpreted. And so that's what Paul is saying here in verse 13. We need to understand what is being said. Because this is for the church. And he goes on in verse 14 to clarify and to uh, build a foundation for this. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, this is the same word, speak in tongues, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what's he saying here? So let's just give you this, in, this hypothetical situation, which, by the way, is not hypothetical. How do I know that? Because Paul actually says, I thank God... I speak in tongues more than you all. So this is not a hypothetical situation. This is actually something that Paul is experienced and is experiencing. And I believe we should be. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. So what is he saying when he says, My spirit prays? There's arguments about this, which... It's amazing how you never think about a passage being argumentative, <laughs> but it's amazing. But so what is he saying? I, I believe when he says my spirit prays, he's saying my it, it is my spirit is given utterance by the Holy Spirit to pray in this way. So we all who speak in tongues, understand this, that the Spirit gave us tongues, and when we pray, it's the Holy Spirit working through us to pray. And so, our spirit, we, we have a spirit, and so, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are praying in a tongue. So, what Paul is saying is, he's He's contrasting, but my mind is unproductive. So my spirit's praying, but my mind is fruitless, or as the NASB says, unfruitful. Or we can say unproductive. It's not producing anything that is understandable to our minds. I think that is very important for us to see. Our mind... We could even say, our mind is not active. Our mind is not working. Now, have you ever seen a state job? 
You know, you go down the highway and they're working on a pothole. There's ten guys around the hole, but none of them are working. That's an unproductive mind. <laughs> it's a good picture. It, when, our, when we're praying in the Spirit, our mind is not working. We're not thinking. We're, we're just praying. So it's, it's not beneficial to our mind, nor to the mind of anyone else. So it's not just un, unfruitful for us, but it's unfruitful for everyone who hears. Unless... Remember the exception, unless we interpret. Then it becomes fruitful for all of us. So, verse 15, what's Paul's conclusion? What, what is he saying? You know what? I've made my argument here, so what am I going to do? He says, what is the outcome then? He says, I will. This is future. In the future, I'm going to do this. You're going to see me doing this. I will pray in the Spirit, and I will also pray with my mind. So you're telling me that I can do both? Yes. And I will sing in the Spirit, and I will also sing with my mind. And this is interesting. We see both. He's not saying either or. He's not saying, oh, I'm not going to pray in the Spirit at all now. No, he's saying I'm going to do both. Because what? We know, right? Verse 14, or at the beginning of 14, it says there in verse 4, the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So, when we pray in the Spirit, we're edifying ourselves, but when we, we pray with our mind, who does it edify? Our hearers, and not just our... It also edifies us in a, in a sense. But, so what is Paul worried about? He is concerned about not only building himself up, but the church as a whole. And that's why he can say, I will pray in the Spirit, and I will pray with my mind. I will sing with the spirit in the spirit and i will sing with my mind and it's interesting when you think about singing what what is singing all about praises worship blessing god and giving thanks which seems to naturally flow to verse 16. Because it says, Otherwise, if you bless, that's a part of, of singing, blessing. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, this word only is actually not in the, the, the original, it's more of that's implied by the construction of the sentence. So, if you bless in the Spirit... Only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks? So when you're praying in the Spirit, thanking God for what He's done. I mean, just think about this. If we all had a meal together, and I 
wanted to thank the Lord for the food and, and all that. Let's say there were people in our assembly, and I just decided I was going to pray in the Spirit. Would it, would it make the food unless blessed? I don't think so. But we actually pray not only for the benefit of God. We actually pray for benefit to ourselves. I don't think I, I don't think many people think about the fact that the reason we pray, pray in English is so that we can be benefited together. I think that's a purpose that God had, and that we praying. I don't know how many of you listen to prayers, but oftentimes prayers can preach to your heart. That's why I think we need to be very intentional about how how and what we say when we pray. Not that we have to be like super. Um, you know, oh Lord, you know, like very, you, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't, I'm not, uh, I don't pray like that, but we don't have to be just overwhelmingly, for lack of a better word, verbose in the way that we pray. But our prayer should be true and it should be teaching even what we believe. Because we're speaking truth. So when I pray for the food, I'm thanking God for providing it. I'm thanking Him. I'm asking Him to bless it to my body so that when I receive it, it will nourish me and bring me strength. But if I decided to pray in tongues over the food, everybody would be looking around like, uh, what did He say? Or if I decided to pray in Spanish... Okay, I guess it's blessed, but I don't know what he said. He might have said, make it a blessing to everybody, but to me, but not everyone else. Who knows what he said? So, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say amen? This is a very... I had a hard time just following the Greek in this. It's very choppy, and even most theologians look at it and are like, I don't know. <laughs> Just really, It's a really difficult passage, honestly, to translate. But this, the one, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted? I believe that this is referring to, to those who are untrained, who don't have these gifts. But I also believe that this person is a Christian. Because how many unbelievers say amen? Truly. What does amen mean? A hearty approval of what is said. I agree with you. That's, that's the idea. And so... Why would an unbeliever say amen to something they don't understand? Well, not only that, but I don't know many believers that agree with what the Word of God says. So I believe that he's talking about a Christian. That doesn't mean that it can't be an unbeliever, but I generally I think that he's referring to believers who don't have it interpreted, who don't have the gift of interpretation. So, if you bless in the Spirit only, 
That's not saying that you can't bless in the Spirit. It's saying if you bless in the Spirit only. I think that is key here. Because some people will like to twist this particular first half of this verse to say, well, see, if you bless in the Spirit, then no one can say amen. No, I, I believe that Paul is referring to only because Paul has not thrown out speaking in tongues. Have you noticed how carefully he has guarded his language so that we don't get the conclusion that the gift of tongues is useless? He's been very careful to define its use in this, pat, in this section, this chapter. So that person who comes in the church and they, they don't understand, that Christian, they don't understand what you're saying. You're trying to bless, which interestingly, this word bless is the word that we get eulogy from. I don't know if you knew that. A eulogy is a blessing. And so, when you bless the Lord in the Spirit, it doesn't help anyone. It, because, why? What does he say there at the end? Since he does not know what you are saying. Could you imagine going to a funeral, and everyone there speaks English, and the eulogy is given in Russian? Everybody like, that was the worst funeral I've ever been to. I didn't understand a word. They may have been great words. I mean, a true, I mean, the most powerful funeral message you've ever heard, and yet it's all in a language that no one understands. So it's unfruitful. It is useless because it's not intelligible to those who hear. It just sounds like gibberish, which I'm sure you've been accused of speaking gibberish when you pray in the Spirit. Or told, well, if you speak in the Spirit, it's just gibberish. It's not, you know, it's not really from God. I mean, I've heard that. So how can they say amen when you bless in the Spirit? Or at your giving of thanks. This word giving of thanks is actually the word where we get the word Eucharist. I don't know if you knew that's what the Eucharist, the word Eucharist came from. It's the idea of giving thanks for the sacrifice of Christ. I, I didn't know that until I took Greek. Um, and it makes you think, man, why did, the, why did one church decide that they had to make it, use that word so that Protestants don't want to? Because <laughs> they're afraid of the connotation that comes with it. So, again, Paul is hammering home. He, he ends, right? He says, since he does not know what you are saying. What's the problem? Why, why is there a problem, Paul? Because he doesn't understand. That's the problem. It's not that you uh, bless in the Spirit. It's that you bless in the Spirit only, and the person who hears does not understand. It, their, their mind is unproductive. It's fruitless, unfruitful. You say, well, Paul, does, is it not giving thanks then? No, verse 17, he says, for you are giving thanks well enough. Yeah, you are giving thanks. That, that's not my problem. You can give thanks in the Spirit. 
You can bless in the Spirit. But, we say, but the other person is not built up. That is the problem. Edification requires intelligibility. It's not that you're not giving things. It's not that you're not blessing. The problem is that the other person is not built up. And Paul further comes against. He's, he's, he wants it, them to make sure they understand he's not a gift against speaking in tongues. He's for it. Why? Because we see that in verse 18. I give thanks to God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Right? Paul is not saying it's a useless gift. What he's saying is it should be for the edification of the church. Because can you imagine the, the Corinth believers, they're reading this, and they have built, honestly, almost an idol out of speaking in tongues. And so they begin to read the letter, and they, they get to this section, and they're like, Paul, you're, you, you must not be a Christian. What's wrong with you? You're, you're attacking our pet spiritual gift. This is wrong. And they could respond with anger and offense. How can you say these things? Or maybe they could respond with, okay, we got to get rid of it. No more of that. But Paul is trying to temper that with this statement. He's trying to encourage them. Look, I am not against speak, speaking in tongues. What I am against is in the gathered assembly doing those things that don't build up the whole. I think that is a very, very good way of determining if something is of God or not in the, when we come together. Is what we're doing edifying one another? Building one another up? Or is it bringing undue attention to the person who is acting in whatever way? You know, we've heard of people barking like dogs or rolling on the floor. I don't see that in Scripture. And what does that do? Who, do, who does that draw attention? Does that draw attention to the church as a whole? Does that build anyone up? I don't, I don't think so. Actually, I think it does the opposite. So, if building up is essential, then when we bless and when we give thanks, what should we do it in? With our minds, with intelligible language in the gathered assembly. I'm going to keep saying that because some people say, well, then it's no use outside of the church. No, actually, we know that praying in tongues builds up the one who prays. So it does. It is for our good in that sense, without interpretation. Gordon Fee says this about uh, verse 18. 
He herewith affirms their gift in the strongest of terms, but he does so in order to reorder their own thinking about what should be happening in the gathering for worship. He says, When praising in tongues, you are thanking God well enough. Indeed, I do this more than all of you. But what goes on among Christ's assembled people is another story altogether. So, Paul speaks in tongues more than them all, but what matters most to him in the gathered assembly is to build one another up. So though he speaks in tongues more than them all, at the end of verse 18, he goes into 19. However, in in spite of that, in the church, I desire, it is my wish, it is my greatest desire to speak five words with my mind. Why? Why why is it so important that he speaks five words with his mind? Because he's in the church. Is he talking about a building? No. The gathered believers. Guess what? There is a day coming and it may not be as far away as I as some think that we will need to gather outside of a building that's called a church. That we will need to gather in homes. Are we willing to do that? It's a side note to think about. But it is the gathering together of believers. So in the church... Specifically, he desires to speak five words with his mind. Why would he do that? Why why does he want to do that? Well, he answers us. You see, it says, So that I may instruct others also. So it's not just about me. This is about us as believers being built up together. If I decided I was going to start preaching in Spanish here starting next week, how many of you all would decide, you know what, we need to find somewhere else to go? I'd hope all of you because that would be self-centered. I would be getting, oh man, I'd be built up every time I, I my Spanish would get better, my um, understanding of Spanish, my vocabulary of Spanish, and God could even speak to me. But would any of you all be benefited from it? Not unless you decided to go take a Spanish class. <laughs> I could go take Spanish so I can understand my pastor. Or the one preaching to me. <laughs> no, that, that would not be right. I, I need to speak five words that you understand. And that would be far more beneficial if I spoke. What did he say? He says, rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. So if I spoke 10,000 words in Spanish, they would have no value in comparison to five good words in English. There would be so much more understanding for you if I did it in English. 
Interesting, this word, what's translated 10,000 words, is actually not a number. The Greek word is actually a word that could be and is better translated innumerable or countless. I don't know why uh, some versions do a number other than 10,000 is a lot of... (laughs) I don't think I speak 10,000 words in a, a sermon. I hope not for your sake. Um, but it's a lot of words. That's, that's the idea. And so, no matter how many words I speak in tongues, it is fruitless to you, because it does not instruct you. I don't know if you knew this. Did you know that the word instruct in English comes from the word catechize in Greek? That's where the idea of catechizing came from. What they did is, when you became a Christian, because of the persecution, they wouldn't tell you where the church was for a long time. They would say, if, if you led somebody to Christ, you had to invite them into your home. They live with you for over six months. And you would catechize them. That is, instruct them in the way of Christ. And you would report back to the leaders of the church until it was proven that you weren't somebody trying to come into the church so that you could get them all thrown in jail. And so, once you prove that you were a true seeker and not just somebody trying to get in because there was financial gain to be had. If you reported someone as a Christian, you got all their belongings. This could be coming. And so, I mean, what financial incentive to be a spy and a liar to put on a good game face? And so... They had to live with them. That was what discipleship looked like in the early church, especially when Christianity was under deep persecution. And so this idea of instructing was not just knowledge. It was a life lived in front of others. So Paul, he doesn't want to just speak words. He wants to live it out in front of them. He wants them to see what it, need, what, what it means to be built up in Christ. And if we cannot understand with our minds, then we won't be changed. It's not all about knowledge, though. It is the Holy Spirit quickening our minds so that we can understand. Because I can talk to you till you're blue in the face. I could, I could get one of my theology books and just read it to you and most of the time, I don't understand some of the stuff that's being said. So, let me clarify that. But I could talk to you, too. I'm blue in the face about the Holy Spirit. i got a good, thick book that I've been reading, and it's good. It's really good. There's things I don't agree with. But I could read that to anyone. They'd be like, oh, that sounds good. But until the Holy Spirit opens our minds and, and illumines to our heart the Word of God... It doesn't matter what I read to you. I could read this whole Bible to you and it will not transform your life unless the Holy Spirit does it. 
Because knowledge does not transform its understanding itself. And understanding only comes through the Holy Spirit. It doesn't come from how many books you read, how much you, how intelligent you are. But we do need to understand what is being said. We need to have the intelligibility to know what is being said. And that's why we should pray that we interpret when we speak in tongues in the gathered assembly. Why? Because we want each other to be built up. Why do you think when we come together to pray, we pray in English first? We're praying in with our minds and with our spirits. We're praying what God puts on our heart in English, and, and then we're praying in the Spirit because we, in some cases, we just don't know what the will of God is. And we don't want to assume that we know. So how do we take this home? What, how do we apply this? And I, I think the key is that we remember that God is calling us to operate in the gifts, to seek zealously those gifts that edify the church. And what are those that edify the church? The ones that are understandable. Speaking in tongues has always been coupled with the gift of interpretation. Whether it's the same person or a different person in the assembly, it is always a gift that is intended to be coupled together, not separated. And that is the problem that I believe the church in Corinth is dealing with and that Paul is trying to correct. So let's pray. Father, I pray that we would seek that which glorifies you and builds up your church. Lord, I pray that you would give us faith to step out in uh, giftings that you are opening to our eyes. Or that we would begin to see these gifts flow in this church. Not though so that we can become a famous church, Lord, but that we would magnify your name. That we would be a model of God's faithfulness to insignificant people. That we would be humble, yet full of your authority over the power of Satan. Lord, move, I pray, in this church. Give us a hunger for your word. Lord, give us a delight in one another and a delight in your word and a delight to see one another built up. Lord, help us to learn how to come alongside each other and to fight together against the enemy, to disciple one another, to instruct one another. Give us humility to receive instruction from one another, Lord. Lord, we want to be built up. A church founded upon Christ is our desire. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.